This episode is brought to you by Verger CBD and Delta 8 products. Verger offers only the highest quality products for relaxation, rejuvenation, and concentration. Delta 8 is the newest legal recreational way to enjoy hemp. Verger has Delta 8 edible and smokable products from gummies to vape pens. If you are 21 or older, check them out on Facebook or also at their website at vergercbd.com. That's V-E-R-D-U-R-E-C-B-D.com. Also, be sure to take advantage of a special 20% off for our listeners with promo code UNKNOWN20 at checkout. I love Verger's Delta 8 CBD products so much it helps me relax at night and enjoy some fun out with my friends because I do not like drinking. Some states and locations are limited. Remember, vergercbd.com and unknown20 at checkout. Thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy that never says, I don't care when asked where he wants to go to eat, Mike <laughs> Vandebogart. Uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you to everybody who's tuned in once again to the show. Don't have a lot of updates this week, so we'll get right to it. Um, but before we start, I'd like to give a big shout out to listener Deborah Wales. She actually recommended this case to us, so uh, thank you, Deborah. Got a couple uh, Patreon shoutouts to get to. Uh, we've got Bill Lampert, Ladona, oh boy, um, <laughs> Nino. Does that look I right? I think it's right. I think that's right. And uh, Nick Mishko. And I'd like to thank uh, Bill and Nick. I, I do work with both of them, so I really appreciate <laughs> the support. I was going to ask you if it was Mishko because you just like, you fired that one off like you seemed like you knew it. So. I may actually have it wrong, so Nick, I'll apologize. <laughs> it's, it's Misho? Misho? Might be Misho. Misho. Yeah, I probably got it wrong. I hope I'm right and you're wrong because yeah. <laughs> you work with him. All right. And someone uh, commented on our Patreon site that you got their name horribly wrong, but they were laughing really hard, apparently, when you were trying to get it right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, really disappointed in everybody listening. We only got one voicemail uh, from since our last episode. And uh, it was a gentleman who was asking for us to uh, sell signed pictures. <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> what? I guess we can uh, put something up on our store if people like will... pictures of us, or like of the logo, or you know something that we sign. Um, so <laughs> we hold on. We should go to like a Kohl's yeah. and do like glamour shots, oh, no. like me and you, and then <laughs> sign them. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe someday. Oh, let's go to the thrift store and get like old clothes, then go to Kohl's, do some glamour like headshots with like 
sparkles and laser beams, and we'll sign those and put them on the store. Um, yeah. So yeah, stay tuned. We uh, we we're totally gonna do that. I don't care if you don't want to. We may have something on our website. It would be something just kind of like a joke, but it, it would help the show out. You could. You know, maybe we'll sell it for $5 or something. Oh, no, this is deadly serious. <laughs> this is going to be... <laughs> so, yeah, we want to we want to hear some more voicemails. So um, I'll put a link to our, our phone number in the show notes. So, you know, give yeah, us a see, call. Yeah, see, look at that. That one voicemail generated something that I think is going to be pure gold. There you go. So like Napoleon Dynamite style glamour shots. And whoever, uh, whoever left that voicemail, uh, send an email to us and we'll send you, whenever we do sell whatever we're going to sell, we'll send you a free one. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that. Oh, uh, one final uh, thing. Uh, last week we, or last episode, we tried out kind of a different style of episode. We did an actual kind of, you know, true crime that you would see on like the A and E TV shows, and uh, for the most part, I think people really liked it. So, you know, down the road we may mix in every once in a while uh, kind of a true crime episode that's still kind of related to the outdoors. Um, just to kind of shake things up. So, um, yep, I, I like doing it, and I agree with you. I saw a lot of people commenting that they really enjoyed it. So, yeah, and if you want to help the show out, head over to our Patreon page. Uh, for our last episode, I did a solo episode, which was kind of weird, where I went over kind of the last uh, decade of my hiking experience. And this weekend, Joe will be recording the same type of episode, but for yeah, his... I was supposed to do it during this week, and I just I got sidetracked. But yeah, no... I, I think for mine, I'm just gonna talk about my entry into hiking and my time in the Boundary Waters that set me up, and then I'll break it out. Maybe we'll do more episodes later about different trips. So yeah, if you want to hear either of those episodes or our backlog of Patreon-only episodes for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to all of it, plus other cool swag and. Uh, a lot of other cool stuff, so go check it out. Uh, so, Joe, that's all I had. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. May 1983. A 54-year-old woman left her home in Texas on a trip east to Maine. She planned to hike a remote section of the Appalachian Trail. When she failed to check in almost two months later, a search and rescue team was dispatched to find her. Ultimately, no clues were discovered. Join us this week as we investigate the only open missing persons case on the Appalachian Trail, the disappearance of Jesse Hoover. The Appalachian National Scenic Trail, generally known as the Appalachian Trail or simply the AT, is a marked hiking trail in the eastern United States, extending between Springer Mountain in Georgia and Mount Katahdin in Maine. You know what? We did an episode on AT and I couldn't pronounce it then and I still can't pronounce it now. (laughs) Katahdin, I think it is. There you go. 
The trail is roughly 2,200 miles long. The Appalachian Trail Conservancy describes the Appalachian Trail as the longest hiking-only trail in the world. Between 2 million and 3 million people hike the AT each year, according to a recent count by the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Of those, few attempt a through-hike, and most that do start in Georgia in the spring. Around 10% of through-hikers start in Maine, usually in June when the weather has improved. So for those listening who don't know, a through-hike is when they start the trail and they don't stop until they get to the end. Mm -hmm. So the other types are when people do sectional section hikes where they'll do sections of the AT maybe a couple times a year and eventually finish the entire thing throughout their lifetime. Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned this on our, our first episode that we did on the AT. This is definitely on my list of things to someday do. I don't, right now, I, I don't, there'd be no way I could do a through hike, but maybe break it up into pieces and hit a piece every couple of years. So yeah, no, that'd be fun. Yeah. So the number of through hikers per year has increased steadily with 715 northbound and 133 southbound through hikes reported for 2017. Some seeking a more intense version of the through hike, uh, they'll do the entire length of it, turn around and through hike the way back, which is known as a yo-yo. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, yeah. So one in four ever finish that. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. I mean, I don't. Yeah. yeah. I, what's it's probably one in four finish. That sounds like it. Fewer finish this than climb Everest. <laughs> it's it's so much time. Yeah. Because like, well, Everest is a lot of time, but it's not. It's it's a lot of it's like acclimation and waiting for weather. This is like you're moving from constantly every day for months. Yeah. To get it done. Like you have to be able to get the time off and it's just a mental endurance game for like several months to to get it done. So the idea for the Appalachian Trail came about in 1921. The trail itself was completed in 1937 after more than a decade of work. The AT is currently maintained by 31 trail clubs multiple partnerships, and is managed by the National Park Service, the United States Forest Service, and, an, and the nonprofit Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Most of the trail is in forests or wildlands, although some portions traverse towns, roads, and farms. The AT, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail, or PCT, uh, form what is known as the Triple Crown of Hiking in the United States. So if you're able to through-hike all of those... yeah. Um, and I, I think even if you finish them all, not even in through hikes, you are considered like a triple crown holder of hiking. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is a, a quite an accomplishment. If you actually have through hiked all of them, um, I would say even hiking just a, a small section of each of them is, is pretty, pretty cool because they're, you know, different parts of the country. And, um, I've been on the Pacific crest trail and I think I've been on a section of the continental divide trail, but um, yeah, I've been on parts of all of them, mm -hmm. just not specifically to be there. It's more like the places I was going intersected with them. Yeah. And now, Joe, the next section you're going to describe, just so the listeners know, Joe is going to just briefly describe the section that Jesse was planning to hike. So. So this is the 100 mile wilderness, an area so remote that the main Appalachian Trail Club strongly urges hikers carry at least eight to 10 days worth of food on this leg alone. It is generally considered the wildest section of the AT and one of the most challenging to navigate and traverse. This section of the trail is crossed by several logging roads and is maintained by the Maine Appalachian Trail Club. It consists of a small corridor of protected wilderness surrounded by large tracts of public and private land 
controlled by paper companies. Yeah, and it's um, so yeah, like a hundred miles to take eight to ten days is pretty crazy because I think a lot of those people try and do twenty miles a day. Yeah. And, and they do that pretty steadily. Yeah, and the thing I read about uh, this section of the AT is that it's it's very easy to get lost, um, partly because of all of those logging roads that you know crisscross the trail. And I I think it's um, you know like they said it's more wild, so the trail is not as defined in all the areas. So. Well, and um, you don't have a ton of people going through there all the time. Like that's yeah. different when you get in a national park and you have millions of people visiting, but it's in a small space. You have paths that just stay permanently beaten down. Yep. Whereas if you have this area, if you only have a couple people going through, the overgrowth will cover stuff up pretty quick. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the the character profile. Mikey, take it away. Yeah. So uh, this is an interesting case for multiple reasons. Um, one of the main reasons is for almost 30 years, there was very little information known about Jesse Hoover and what happened to her. Um, and in, in our theories section, maybe we can get into maybe why or what happened, but, um, there, yeah, there wasn't a lot of information even now after an investigative reporter had done a lot of research on this case, there's still not as much information that we see typically, in a case and especially for a case that's she's the only missing persons case right now, unless some something happened recently on the AT, which is a pretty big deal. Um, and so, and also going in the character profile, she definitely had issues. And so I'll, I'll get right into them. So her name was uh, Jesse Albertine Hoover and she went missing on May 20th, 1983. She's a female age 54 she was about five foot eight to five foot ten, uh, two hundred fifty pounds. So I, you know, not to be insensitive, but I would say, you know, probably, you know, that would be considered overweight. So, you know, I only mention that because she's hiking one of the more difficult sections of the AT, and you know, not being conditioned could definitely be one of the reasons why she went missing. Um, so her, her hair color type, she had grain, brown hair, blue eyes. Uh, she was missing her bottom two teeth. Uh, the clothing, the clothing she was last seen in was a blue windbreaker, blue jeans, blue shirt, carrying a blue knapsack. And I, right away, I've mentioned this in other episodes, never go hiking in blue jeans. <laughs> if you're going to be overnight, actually just never hike in blue jeans. Um, yeah, it's completely unnecessary and is not going to help you in any way. No, they, uh, they don't breathe. Um, it, you know, if they get wet, it's going to be very hard for those jeans to dry out on their well, own. They get heavy. They, they get heavy. rub against your skin. Yeah. Like it's, it's terrible. Yeah. So just a, a good piece of advice, just never go hiking in blue jeans. <laughs> um, so we don't know a lot about her personality uh, for medical issues. We do know that she had epilepsy and required uh, constant medication. So um, this probably is a huge factor in her disappearance. Uh, if she was out there, got lost and, um, you know, ran out of her medication, it could be deadly. So, we'll, you know, we'll go into more of that in the theories. Um, her experience in the wilderness uh, based on uh you know, family members who talked to this reporter a few years ago, she had no experience hiking and no 
specific hiking gear with her. So incredible red flags to me. <laughs> um, she also had no experience in this area. Like uh, we said, she traveled from Texas to Maine uh, to hike the trails. So uh, no experience hiking, no hiking gear, and no experience in the area. So those are... So she just decided to pick up one day, and I'm going to go hike the AT. Yeah. And, and proceeded to hike the hardest part of it. Yeah, and we'll I'll go into uh, why she did that. So that's essentially what we know about her character profile. And um, like I said, a lot of red flags. Uh, so jumping into the timeline. So we are going to start on November 5th, 1982. So Jesse's husband, Eugene Hoover, uh, died suddenly when he was struck by a car while collecting returnable cans and bottles. So uh, Jesse was out of town at the time visiting her mother in Louisiana uh, once she received word of her husband's death, uh, she cut her trip short and returned to Texas. Um, so Jesse and Eugene had been married for 35 years, and this uh, sudden death of her husband just devastated her. So she, uh, okay. yeah, so you can kind of, this whole kind of, you know, seed of wanting to hike the Appalachian Trail kind of started after her husband's death. So according to family, uh, not too long after her husband's death, uh, Hoover began talking about hiking the Appalachian Trail. Uh, something had caught her eye and it interested her years earlier when she was reading about it in National Geographic. And so, you know, she kind of got this bug to hike. And we all get that. I, you know, that's why probably both Joe and I started hiking years ago. I probably saw something on TV or read something or, you know, I just got the, the itch to, to, you know, go hike. Oh, my Patreon episode will be how I got into hiking. So, yeah. So if you want to know how I got into hiking, you're going to have to join Patreon and pay a dollar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so she got this itch to, to hike the Appalachian Trail. So she began to read everything she could about the iconic trail uh, in, you know, anticipation of one day accomplishing the feat. And, uh, you know, I would, I'll say this, you know, it's 1982, no internet, all she can, the, the beautiful thing about the internet now, when I research new hiking trips is I can read reviews and stories of people that have already hiked, you know, these areas. I'm, I'm guessing when Jesse picked that hundred miles wilderness stretch, she probably had no idea it was as hard as it was, you know, she's probably just reading, Maybe National Ge you know, Geographic like description of the area, and who knows. But I think having the internet now really is beneficial to knowing what to anticipate as far as difficulty. So, oh, yeah, even on the trails I know, I'll do my trip reports. Like, uh, for if I'm going to Colorado, I'll do 14ers.com or yeah. all trails because you'll get real time updates from people who hike it regularly. So, I'll know, hey, I'm going to be hitting the trail this weekend. And I remember once I was going to go do Capitol Peak and I checked online and, and I I just messaged someone said that said they were there, said, hey, I want to do Capitol Peak. They're like, oh, an avalanche just went down. You won't be able to make it. I was like, all right, good. I'm not even going to go then. Yeah. But like that, it saved me an entire trip. But like, what if I got out there? Uh, the avalanche had already happened, but you start going through that snow, you could get stuck. Accidents can happen. Like just, just that information alone is super valuable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think she's at a disadvantage just because of, uh, you know, there was no internet at the time. So 
you know, she's reading all this information about the AT. She actually ended up crafting an itinerary and, uh, you know, of when she would arrive at major stops along the trail to pick up supplies and to wire for money. She even made arrangements with family, uh, the family doctor to get refills of her medication along the way. So while, you know, she wasn't experienced in actual hiking, she obviously, because of reading all of this information about the AT, she was, you know, preparing, I think she was doing a good job of preparing, you know, for her trek down the AT, you know, setting up these stops and things like that. So, sure. All right. So let's fast forward to May 16th, 1983. So Jesse uh, leaves Texas and heads towards Maine and the hundred mile wilderness area. Um, And she had, she went to the area just South of Baxter state park. So at this time, her sister said she only had about 15 to $20, uh, which back in 1983 probably was a decent, you know, probably like a hundred (laughs) dollars. Uh, and she intended to wire for money when she passed through towns along the AT. Um, so, and actually she planned to through hike the Appalachian trail going South, which like we said is only about 10% of people actually do the through hike South. So, uh, pretty, pretty gutsy plan for someone with no experience, um, to do. (laughs) So I'd say so. So now it is uh, May 20th, 1983, and uh, she is on the AT, and she's, you know, hiking south, and she, uh, some park rangers came up to her, and uh, she was talking to him about how she planned to climb Mount, uh, how'd you pronounce it, Joe? Mount. I don't even know. I'm wrong. Catahadden? Catahadden. Catahadden. Cat Hatton. So <laughs> she was planning to climb Mount Cat Hatton in Baxter State Park, uh, but she was urged to turn back by park rangers due to her uh, lack of supplies and equipment. So, um, like we said, she had no hiking gear with her. I don't know what she must have had. She must have had some kind of backpack with food, hopefully. Um, but the rangers knew right away by probably just looking at her, like you can't, you can't hike this. And it's we're not talking a fourteener. This is the highest mountain in Maine, but it, it only goes up to 5,200 feet, um, which, I mean, that's that's really not, you know, Joe and I went pause to do that. Uh, but so when she was urged to turn back, uh, she is believed to have started to, to hike to the south. Uh, but northbound Appalachian trackers coming through the uh, Dacey Pond checkpoint hadn't seen her at all. So, um we have some conflicting information. The Rangers think she continued south, but then we have hikers, uh, you know, going north that claim to have not not have seen her. So um, we're not quite sure what happened to her at that point. Uh, and then during the search and rescue, they obviously talked to a lot of attendants, and there was an attendant that remembered seeing her in late May 1983 and that she had gone in the direction of the trailhead of the hundred mile wilderness on the other side of Abel bridge. Uh, that was the first and last time the attendant saw her. So, uh, this will lead up to when she went missing. So we've got already got some conflicting information. We have Rangers that think she went South. We have Northbound hikers that never saw her. And we have an attendant that remembered that she went towards the hundred mile w- wilderness. So, um, did the attendant say why she knew it was her? 
Uh, no, I, I think they, in my research that she just recognized her, they showed her a picture. So, okay. Um, so, all right. So now we are fast forwarding to July 11th, 1983. So after Jesse had failed to call her family to report her progress on the trail, her sister reported her missing, uh, to the warden service almost two months after she was last seen. So this is a very troubling turn of events in this case. Um, you know, the first 48 to 72 hours are absolutely vital in a missing person's case in the wilderness. And if somebody has gone missing and hasn't been seen for two months, you know, that the likelihood of finding them is close to zero, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the searchers were already at a disadvantage because she had been out in the wilderness for two months. So... Uh, July 12th, 1983, the search starts and they started the, you know, the formal search at this point. However, the investigation uh, report says Jesse was woefully unprepared with light clothing and only beef jerky for sustenance. So now we know that she didn't even have the proper food. She had beef jerky. Um, so this, you know, this obviously is probably leading to one of the theories of what happened to her. Uh, the potential search area was around 15 million acres, and, and within it, there were hundreds of miles of trail in which Jesse could have become lost on. So you're talking an expansive area with a lot of ground to cover. And being that this is 1983, I think, Joe, in previous episodes, you know, this was a time where they were still kind of developing formal search and rescue techniques. Yeah. If I remember correctly, when we talked to George Land or the well, and I'm just thinking about the 80s when it when, yeah when we go over our stories and kind of understanding what's going on mm -hmm. and it it was a little bit more chaotic. They definitely put in the man hours and stuff, but they didn't have the refinement that they have today. Yeah, I, it wasn't George Land. It was the other guy from Rampart Search and Rescue in Colorado that's been in search and rescue for decades, and I think he told us that. In the 70s and 80s, that was kind of when they started developing more professional techniques for search and rescue. Doesn't mean they didn't put as any less effort in. Um, so yeah, it was uh, Dave Haskin. Dave Haskin, yes. Yep. Um, so because of the density of the trees, the amount of vegetation, and the fact that some areas of the main trail are not that well marked, it's very easy to lose your bearings and become lost for days. Um, Northbound Appalachian Trail hikers were questioned by searchers uh, whether they had seen her all summer, uh, but no one, uh, no one, you know, confirmed that they had seen her. Temperatures in May regularly hit lows in the 40s and 30s, uh, which will, you know, is a very potential hypothermia situation. And they also mentioned there was a lot of light rain at times. So, like I said, she was in blue jeans and light, you know, clothing. If it got if she got rained on and it went down into the 30s, that she's at a serious risk of hypothermia at that point. Well, yeah, and just like you said, jeans don't dry out very quickly. No, especially out in the wild, like unless you can hang it up in the sun in the wind. Yeah, if, and even then it'll take all day. Yeah, but if you need to wear it, it's going to be several days of damp, wetness, and uncomfortableness. Yeah. Um. So you know. The search and rescue went on for quite a while, but uh, park rangers never found a body, clothes, or her blue knapsack, despite having a large-scale search operation place 
Um, for, so they had another search operation going on for another hiker that went missing in the same area around the same time. So they had a, a ton of manpower out in the woods looking for both people, and they found nothing. And one of the rangers was quoted in one of the articles I read. He said, we went over the woods with a fine tooth comb. If she was there, we would have found her. We don't ignore people in the woods. <laughs> so he was very blunt about the fact that they looked everywhere. So, like I said, uh, this is the initial information about the timeline. I've got some other information about, uh, you know, what has happened since. And there are some some strange notes and oddities about this case. So this case went for almost, you know, 83, you know, 30 years with really no uh, recognition of her being missing. And an investigative journalist working for Fox 23 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, discovered in 2014 that Hoover uh, was one of only two unsolved disappearances on the APT at the time. There was very little news coverage of her case when the other missing persons case was solved in 2013. The reporter went back as far as the 80s and couldn't locate any archived newspaper reports of her disappearance. So that to me is odd because whenever someone goes missing, there's usually at least, you know, one or two even small articles like, oh, search rescue, search and rescue operations going on, looking for blah, blah, blah. You know, one of the local towns around there. So there was nothing. Um, and this case has been uh, listed as the uh, oldest cold case in Maine's history. So in the whole state of Maine, this is, you know, the oldest unsolved disappearance. Uh, wow. Still to this day, because as far as I know, they haven't found uh, they haven't found anything. So, yeah. um, so November 20, so this investigative rec reporter now is actually, you know, filing freedom of information acts and really digging into the case. And in November of 2014, uh, the case file related to Jesse Hoover was released. Uh, state police had, so this is kind of from a summary from the case file and, I was not able to actually locate it. I, I bet if we filed a, you know, another request with the Maine State Police, we could probably get that report. But this investigative journalist kind of summarized the findings from it. So uh, she found that state police at the time handed the investigation off to the Maine Warden Service, which at the time led searches for missing persons in the Maine woods. However, the Maine Warden Service had no record of a search for anyone from 1983. <laughs> so uh, the, the state police, you know, have verified report that they handed this over to the Maine Warden Service, and the Maine Warden Service does not have any records of a search happening. Um, so the state police report indicated that now-retired Warden Sergeant Dave uh, Sewall had been informed of Hoover's disappearance. Uh, and for three decades, he kept her file for the off chance that someday it could be helpful in solving her case. And sure enough, uh, this investigative reporter reached out to him. And uh, the new case file from Dave uh, Sewall mentioned that she was from White Settlement, Texas, which is a suburb of Fort Worth. 
And the information eventually led to the reporter making contact with the family and bringing new details to life about Hoover, which had been de- which I detailed earlier in the episode. So all that stuff about her husband and planning um, this trip to the AT and kind of what she wanted to do was not known before 2014. So okay. I don't th- I don't believe we even knew what part of the AT she was planning to hike before this investigative reporter. So all we know is that she went missing on the Appalachian Trail before that report came out, which is shocking to me. <laughs> That's just crazy. It just took some random person to like take an interest in it and dig a little bit and then find out tons more information that may have been helpful way back then. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, and this investigative reporter eventually reached out to the family and uh, interviewed them several times. And uh, to kind of conclude the, the timeline of this case, uh, with help from the reporter, the family was finally able to submit DNA samples to the National Missing and Unidentified Persons Network, which will now allow law enforcement across the country to t- test potential remains uh, in the future. So that hadn't even been done um, up until a couple years ago. So uh, like I said, it, this, sh- this case is a little shorter because of the lack of information, but I don't think it's any less mysterious in my eyes because of the fact that she her case basically went unnoticed for 30 years um the main state organization you know responsible for her search and rescue has no record of searching for her (laughs) and that the fact that you know while not a lot of people hike that hundred mile wilderness area it's been over 30 years and no body, bones, clothing, nothing has ever been found, which, uh, you know, who knows what happened to her. Um, I So I can go into some official theories, Joe. Yeah, go to the official theories, and then I, I'm going to – I want to hear what the official ones are, and then I'll kind of talk about what I think. Yeah, so some of the official theories, um, the main one that everyone kind of came back to was – uh, she died due to lack of experience and gear to hike in those conditions, which I think uh, is a strong possibility. They mentioned that all of the following could have been possible. Uh, hypothermia, disorientation, running out of food, accident, seizure called, caused by epilepsy, and potentially foul play. Um, Sewell, the retired uh, uh, sergeant, believes Hoover succumbed to the elements. He goes on to say hypothermia is a significant hazard to hikers that can strike even in the summer. New England in spring, which is when Hoover started her hike, can get chilly. Hoover is wearing jeans, a shirt, and a windbreaker at the time. Um, and they actually, the report actually had some National Weather Service data from that time. Uh, it said, according to the National Weather Service, between May 16th and May 21st, 1983, temperatures in the area routinely dipped down into the 30s. Uh, when Hoover started her hike on the morning of May 20th, it reached a high of 72 degrees. So, you know, warm enough, they say, for an unseasoned hiker to break a sweat. The Weather Service report also goes on to say that a light rain had set in midday, and by nightfall, temperatures had descended nearly 30 degrees. And the rain continued into the next day, and the temperatures on May 21st peaked at 59 degrees. Um. But so while Sewall said he thinks it's likely Hoover died in the re- those remote woods, he still has no idea where. 
uh, he said he believes that had there been any trace of her to be found, it would have been uncovered when the wardens conducted the other search. So, um, you know, they're going for the, the, you know, the, the low hanging fruit on this one of, you know, lack of preparedness and sure inexperience, which the odds are with them in that assessment. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a high likelihood, especially with those weather conditions. Um, the, just the fact that it was, you know, got down into the thirties and it was, you know, raining and the kind of clothing she was wearing because there's not a lot of, um, I think there's black bears there, but, um, you know, it's not like hiking out West where you'd have to contend with grizzlies or something. Yeah. Mountain lions or things like that. Um, you know, potentially could be foul play. Uh, you know, the only thing that I, so the thing that I gives me pause is, okay, say she succumbed to the elements. I would think that, you know, she would stay near the trail and she would just have hypothermia or, you know, something happened and she you know passed away near the trail. You know, why hasn't anyone found her for over 30 years? Why didn't the wardens find her when they were searching? Like Sewell said, if there had been any trace of her, they would have found her. And yeah, assuming she's on the trail, assume I think that's the I think that's the big kicker is we have to almost assume she wasn't on the trail yeah. for whatever reason. You know, her lack of experience, she may have thought she could just you know. Hook. There's there's a lot of factors though. So like with all of her personal, like the the reason she went to go out there is because she had a lot of you know trial and tribulation at home in Texas. And she was looking for some type of change. And yeah. she made a rapid change. This reminds me a lot about that recent one um, of that young woman out of California. Oh, yeah. That went on the COVID trip, like just kind of, you know, the stress of life got to her and she wanted to go on a trip. Like this almost feels a lot like that with her husband, with her stuff. Now throw in that she's not prepared. She doesn't have the right stuff. She has a medical condition that would render her completely useless yep. if triggered. And I was just on uh, epilepsy.com looking up commonly reported triggers. Yeah. You have sleep deprivation, overtiredness, um, obviously bright lights and flashing, stress, uh, not eating well, low blood sugar, specific foods, excessive caffeine. So she was doing a lot of stuff that she wasn't physically prepared for. Yep. Not pre- so she wasn't physically prepared, mentally prepared, or prepared with supplies. Yeah, she had a ton of stress. That's the reason she was going to do this. And now you throw in this medical condition where quite literally all of those factors could trigger an epileptic episode. Which, if she's lost and gets even more stressed out, um, and this is like the perfect storm, but like imagine she gets lost, not on the trail, no food, terrible weather goes into an epileptic seizure, like, that's it. Like, you're done. Like, when you go into a seizure, it's like running a marathon. Yeah. And you need to replenish those nutrients and have someone there to help you. So I my, my whole thing was going towards initially, maybe she wanted to disappear. I, don't, I wouldn't think it was like a suicide trip. Yeah. But more like a disregard for the risk. Mm-hmm type of thing like she didn't go out there to die but like screw it i'm just gonna do this thing and see what happens yeah to take a risk and just ended up being in the worst possible case 
possible because she didn't do her research. She didn't know what she was doing. She had a medical condition. Um, that that's kind of my vote. I think it's like the perfect storm of, of things that could have gone wrong. Yeah. Um, that that's where my gut's telling me. Yeah. You know, I think obviously unlike a lot of the cases we cover, I think this one clearly the facts point towards, you know, that I will say (laughs) after doing our previous episode about the, uh, the, the psychopath that was, you know, murdering people outdoors and the fact that we did do episode 16 on the the murder of Hood and LaRue that happened on the AT in 1990, it is not outside the realm of possibility for a murder to happen on the Appalachian Trail. Very rare. We're not saying it's... Just, yeah, just so you think, like, the possibility of foul plays. I would agree with you. And I think based off of that last episode and, yeah, I think... We've been discounting how <laughs> credible that could be, I think. Yeah, I, I only say that because um, no trace of her was ever found, uh, which playing devil's advocate against my own theory doesn't mean anything because it's so vast out there, and this is a, a pretty wild section of the AT. I think it's entirely possible that, you know, if there's thick brush and stuff that she could could have, you know, passed away and not been found yet sure it just i don't know it just kind of bugs me this isn't like somewhere out west where there it's mountainous and there's a lot of crevasses and places where a body could fall it's you know it it's main i mean it's thick brush but it's still it's like the forests in northern wisconsin almost you know yeah i don't know that just that's the only thing i mean obviously she was unprepared you know not conditioned all that stuff which huge factor but i don't know something just you know maybe uh maybe there was foul play she was hiking by herself um she's a woman you know hiking the at uh who knows but yeah i don't know this was a a little shorter of an episode um i wanted to cover it just because uh you know it's the only open case right now on the at and that's incredible in and of itself because that's such a long trail. And if, if a listener or if we find information that so this it, that there are new. I wonder if it's the only one of somebody who was specifically hiking the AT because I bet there's people that have gone missing in parks that the AT goes through. But like I, I bet it's because that list is much shorter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe people who set out to hike some section of the at or through hike the at yeah i believe it is the only open case of a person who was actually you know planned to hike the appalachian trail okay that doesn't seem as crazy to me no but i mean it's still uh you know with you know because um, there's been cases but that would assume that they've been solved like either found because like there's definitely like bad things have happened to people there not relatively saying that like it's been foul Mm. play but like accidents stuff they usually recover the bodies or rescue the people. So this is the only one that has no explanation. It, it does seem a little, uh, you know, crazy, but just be the fact that two to 3 million people hike the AT every year. And well, this is what's cool about having a big audience. Now, uh, people love to let you know when you're wrong. So yes. we'll find out real quick if we're off on this one. <laughs> I, I just thought it was, you know, usually we like to do an episode with a little more meat on the bone. Um, but I think it's important to do some of these episodes where, like, this uh, this lady has not gotten the exposure 
she should have for, you know, going missing. And it's now it's, you know, pushing almost 40 years and there's been no breaks in the case. Thank, thankfully, this investigative reporter, you know, dug into it a few years ago or we'd know even less. So yeah. um, I think it was uh, an interesting an interesting story. Anybody listening ever, you know, ever get hiking in that area of the AT, you know, you know, look a little closer just to, you know, that's how a lot of these cases get solved is a hiker will just stumble across something one day. Yeah. Which stinks, but it's also like good that we get some closure every now and then because of it. Yeah. So let us know what you all think. Um, I don't think we've asked the audience to like weigh in recently, but yeah, we want to know your opinions. You, you just listen to the show. Give us, let, let us know what you think. And, you know, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations. I know with your friends and family, be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, so you su- you can subscribe there. It's free and it helps uh, build the show. We're over eight hundred get monetized subscribers. Oh, yeah, we need to, we are yeah we need to get to a thousand so we can start monetizing. All right, <laughs> two two hundred more of you need to just go subscribe on YouTube. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and if you would like to support the show. Uh, you can always buy some sweet swag in our Facebook store. Um, you can also go on Patreon where you will get access to a bunch of additional shows. How many do we have on there? Um, probably 10 or 11 now. Yeah, so there's like a ele- If you're not a Patreon subscriber, there's 11 more episodes of us and our banter <laughs> that you could be enjoying right now. For a dollar. For as little as a dollar a month. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Mike, anything else? Uh, no. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. So I'd say give us your theories and just remember when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or just taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.